Welcome back to the Conversing Labs podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts. I'm the cyber content lead at Conversing Labs, and I am here with the amazing Kelly Shortridge. Hello. Principal Security Engineer at Fastly. Yes. Kelly, welcome. Thank you. So we are here, the Black Hat briefings in the sweltering desert of Las Vegas. Yes. And you gave a really interesting talk yesterday, which picks up on a book that you just co-authored on chaos engineering, which I think is an amazing concept. So I want to talk about that. But before we dig into that, Kelly, tell us just a little bit about yourself and the work that you do at yes. Fastly. Yes, at Fastly, I think about the future of security, which is delightfully vague, but very compelling because obviously Fastly has a CDN heritage, content delivery network, and does a lot in infrastructure because we have a serverless platform. So there are a lot of actually interesting opportunities for that secure by design buzzword everybody's talking about. Yep. We also have our next gen WAF, so it's interesting also to think about the end-to-end -end spectrum of what does it mean to protect an application or a yes, system. In the cloud. Precisely, yeah. One of the things I really love about your book is like it's the infusion of in some ways psychology in some ways into DevOps, DevSecOps, and talking about the desire to make defenders, security engineers, security teams, as nimble as attackers. Yeah. And this is a huge issue in security, right? Huge, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. attackers are incredibly nimble. They have no allegiances to no. technology or strategy, whatever works, they will right. do. So talk a little bit about what that means practically for DevOps organizations to become more nimble. Yes, so I think with DevOps organizations, a lot of times they are ready or maybe pretty nimble because they've leveraged things like automation. I talked in my talk about CSV pipelines, things like infrastructure as code are great. I think what we see though is the DevOps teams and security teams often have these kind of like parallel constructs with what they're doing and it's often the defenders that, like you said, aren't as nimble as attackers. They aren't leveraging things like automation. A lot of times they're very focused on what we see here, bolt-on tools, blinky yes. boxes, little visualizations, and they aren't really thinking about how do we infuse things by design? How do we make sure we can update the design dynamically as conditions evolve, as attackers change their methods? Yeah. One of the things you pointed out in your talk, and you have this great kind of ice cream cone yes. concept, which you can explain, yeah. is, to invert the investment of resources and talent away from what I would call sort of layer eight type processes, yeah. right? Stuff that really rely on humans to do things that humans have proven themselves to be not great at doing, like you know, religiously following security policy right. without exception. Not a great no, it's not. history of people doing things like that. Yes. And to in invest instead into things that you can automate, things that are kind of data-driven. Talk about the ice cream cone concept yes. and what that would mean practically for you know, development organizations in terms of how and where they're investing their time and resources. Definitely, so uh, instead of the typical triangle, you got the ice cream cone here, Party. and I love it because it's a great metaphor for if you have a big base of the cone, you can scoop a lot of resilience ice cream into it. Oh, the ice cream, the ice cream is? The ice cream, to me, conceptually is resilience. It's like how resilient okay. is your system to failure? Oh, okay. right. so the idea is basically things at the top rely at least on human behavior, so eliminating hazards by design or reducing hazardous methods and materials. 
Now, for DevOps organizations, hazardous methods and materials could be manual processes or C code, right? Mm -hmm. uh, code that does mm -hmm. not have memory safety. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about, okay, how do we improve security? We want to focus on those. So that makes us think about things like standardization, memory safe languages, isolation. I talked to them talk about message bus brokers and queues, how those can be helpful. There's immutable and ephemeral infrastructure. None of that, again, is really on this floor, but it's something yeah. that's really going to help security. So again, it gets us to think differently about what solutions we should reach for first. And to your point, it does mean you need to be thinking about this earlier, but I think the good thing is that I view security as a subset, subset of software quality, and you already consider that during the design phase, so it becomes a kind of more natural infusion. So for the past 10 years, we've been talking about this notion of shifting left. Yeah. Right? fraught idea these days, yes. which I think was interpreted as pushing more security responsibility onto development teams in a way that maybe wasn't entirely fair. So what would building resilience in and nimbleness, um, what are some basic ways that development teams can do that from where they are now? Yeah, I think you can think of, in some sense, safe code is code you can easily change. So even before you think about like resilience against attack, it's just make sure you can change things on demand, right? Because in the talk, and definitely in the book, a key theme is that if you can ship code whenever you want, you can ship security changes or fixes, right, in an emergency. So making sure it's that nimbleness, making sure you can change code on demand is super important. And I think, again, it's that idea that can we keep our architecture flexible enough through things like modularity? Can we just keep our options open? Because that's what attackers try to do, right? right? They pivot to get to their goal, we should be able to as well. Right. And the goals here are like things like you said, modularity, isolation, being able to, we're never going to prevent attacks. Precisely. Being able to prevent the lateral movement, the escalation type. The key thing is minimizing impact. And right. this is important because the SEC has now said you have to report to material impact yes. of cyber attacks. So if you can keep impact minimal, think about you have your billing service as a serverless function, it's going to be very difficult for attackers to move laterally, even to the database where that's hosting the billing data, or to any other services, you've contained the impact quite nicely. So it's again, it's that is something where you don't have a bolt-on tool, but it's something that's really powerful to minimize impact, and both the book and the talk kind of talks about how we can minimize that impact, because like you said, failure is inevitable. Mm -hmm. What's so interesting is a lot of what you're talking about really dovetails with, I was just at the CISA Unsafe at Any Speed talk before I came here. Uh, they're they're going to be joining us later to talk as well, uh, Bob and Jack. Um, this dovetails a lot with what we're hearing from the administration about embracing secure by design, secure by default, established concept. Mindful of the sort of psychology piece of this, how do we do this across, in this case, $21 trillion economy without the stick, right? How do we do it with merely carrots or ice cream and not the stick of like the Patch Act in, in medical devices, the FDA saying, you don't do these things, we're not going to improve your product for releasing sales. In essence, that is a real good motivation for a company. It is, yes. But that doesn't exist in other sectors. No. What are your thoughts on how to, again, not rely on individual companies to embrace these concepts and do it, but to actually get results and help companies to do the right thing? Yep, I'll also note that when I was writing the book, all 
140,000 words over nine months. Yeah. What I didn't know at the time was that CSIP was working on Secure by Design. Mm -hmm. So it was a happy accident, mm -hmm. um, and I love what they're doing. So I will not pretend to be a policy person, but I do think one thing that's interesting is, be. well, thank you, thank you, <laughs> uh, is the cross-disciplinary angle. So again, a lot of the things that we need to be resilient against attacks are things that, again, are part of software quality or things that we want for reliability, performance, availability reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I really wish there was more collaboration between platform engineering teams or DevOps teams and security mm -hmm. teams. Because a lot of our goals are ultimately the same, mm -hmm. or the means to those ends are the same. But right now, that's not true. So I think in terms of carrots or ice cream, to get there, it's really thinking about what other goals can we accomplish with these kind of like safer means. Mm -hmm. And again, something like isolation. Sure, we think about it in the sense of isolating attack impacts, but that's true for performance failures or bugs too, right? Yes, it's right. a great way to uphold availability and ensure that there aren't contagion effects. So we need to be thinking more in that mindset, I think. I'm certainly not a fan of punitive measures, though I think there are some nudges that we could potentially use, but I think unless you had an hour, we probably can't cover that. Like you said, but you wrote a book with 140,000 words, work full time in a Bay Area high tech firm, full time plus, cat mom. Yes. How do you manage to balance all those responsibilities? I'm particularly interested because I've never written a book. I really like to. How do you do that? Yeah, listen, I live in New York City and I love the museums and everything. I don't do the nightlife. When I'm at home on the weekends with my cats, yeah. I am reading papers across all sorts of disciplines. I'm trying to pattern match to where we can benefit cybersecurity or software infrastructure. And really this book was like pouring out my soul almost. I just had so much I wanted to say to get out. And I was very grateful Aaron contributed chapter nine, the case studies, because um, he's much more of a social butterfly than I am. So he knows all the people <laughs> doing chaos experimentation. So it really helped bring that really brings a lot of like how people are doing it in practice to the book too. But really it was just, I all of this was swirling in my head and the practice of writing, it really gets you to think very rigorously about your ideas and get them really solid. I actually love the process. I highly recommend it, but I would not do it unless you feel like this just like burning need where I would be walking around. Come out. Yeah, I would be walking around the streets of the bodega and I'd just be like writing chapters in my head and say, you need to write the actual book, right? Final question, so we're here at Black Hat. I know you're running around like crazy, you're yes. doing a talk, you're promoting your book, you're probably doing stuff for your employer as well. However, anything that's interesting to you or caught your eye or seems, yeah, this is an interesting new thing that I'm seeing. That... Interesting new thing? <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, the security industry's not the best at innovation. Yes. I am always surprised at the spectacle that vendors put on here and the yes. amount of money that goes into that, which I personally wish would sometimes be more in the products. Yeah. I think I am glad that some of the AI hype is tempered since RSA. I think people are realizing like it is a tool, but it's a tool that needs to be aware of the context of the problem. And so I feel like I was dreading kind of the hype around everything is generative AI now. It seems like that's not the case. I'll say I'm pleasantly yeah. surprised by yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. People haven't glommed onto that quite as much as you right. there's a there's a long and un, not very proud history of companies of pivoting to whatever the big exactly. you know, term is. At yeah. least it's not blockchain anymore. Well, it's interesting because in this is a, a presentation, Goffin Jack's presentation, they so they're obviously they structured it all around car safety and unsafe at any speed. You know, Ralph Nader's very famous book. Um, and they, that Ralph Nader did in the sixties on the Corsair, which was a car that was involved in a lot of one car accidents, so it would just flip over like in a big breeze. Yeah. It was incredibly unstable. And that they actually Corsair for a while sold this kind of bolt on thing. Oh, if you're concerned about black like, your car might flip over. That's and they were like, awful. that's oh kind of like the modern gosh. cybersecurity industry. And you're yeah. like, oh my God, they're right. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely, I love that analogy. I'm probably yeah. going to steal it. You Thank can. you, Bob. Yes. Uh, anyway, 
Kelly Shortridge, thank you so much. And where can people find your book on chaos engineering? Yes, it's called Security Chaos Engineering, Sustaining Resilience in Software and Systems. You can find it at all major retailers online, Amazon, Bookshop, you name it. And I hope you enjoy it. Kelly Shortridge, Principal Security Engineer at Passy, thank yes. you so much for coming Thank on you for having me. Talking to us and